Welcome to New Kids on the Block, a podcast for newcomers who want to explore blockchains and cryptocurrencies. On this show, we discuss and dissect all things crypto for beginners and intermediate users and help them navigate their way through this fascinating yet overwhelming new space. Let's dive right in. You cannot affect me. Here's to the man who is wisest and best. Here's to the man who with judgment is blessed. And here's to the man who's as smart as can be. Cheers to all who agree with me. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the New Kids on the Block podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Fody Philochorus. I, I did like a like a little cheers intro because um, <laughs> we have a pretty interesting uh, podcast today. Um, we have a, a really great guest, but obviously I'm I'm joined by by Yudu. Yudu, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Fody. Uh, so nice to be here and along with a very special guest, as you alluded to. Um, and just without further ado, I want to introduce you to Dan Du. Uh, he's a friend. He's a mentor. He is also used to be my one of my co-hosts for another podcast. podcast. And um, Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, you do, Fody. Happy to hear you. All right. So, so I gotta, I gotta ask because, so, so dang, you know, I, I, I kind of did like a little bit of research, you know, I was Googling you and doing all that stuff. And then I stumble upon this a bit cryptic podcast thing. Like what was this whole thing? Like, were you in the biz as well? Are you a fellow biz guy? <laughs> yes. It was one of my first forays into crypto where this was probably around 2018 when that was doing the the boom of the uh, initial coin offering hype of of the crypto days and so it was it was my chance to travel around the country and uh, talk to a lot of interesting folks who were innovating in, in this space and so it was it was very exciting times and from there kept rolling and meeting more folks and the rest the rest was history so <laughs> I, I do want to point out that um, Dan is, is one of the people who kind of let me into this space in the first place <laughs> and um, you were being modest when you say um, you know you started there in 2018 but I want to tell my side of the story um, back in I believe it was 2016 or even 17 uh, I think I saw a post you posted on LinkedIn about Ethereum for the very first time you were the first person who who put this article out I think it was one of Vitalik's article uh, you know where he talks about Ethereum for the first time. Uh, it must have been after one of those uh, Bitcoin conferences. Uh, and at the time, I had no idea what Ethereum was, and I was like, "What is he talking about? This this doesn't make sense." But I, I kind of dug into it and I learned more about it, and I, that's kind of you know how I got into this space. So thank you for initiating me on uh, Ethereum and crypto in general. <laughs> thank you for. Hopping along the wild journey. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to back up a little bit, right? So we already talked about um, how you, you started a bit cryptic podcast. So can you just as like, an, an, in my opinion, you're like kind of like OG uh, of crypto, but like, how did you get into crypto in the first place? I want to hear about the origin story. Everyone has their own journey. 
So coming out of grad school, I, I had the unique opportunity to work on teams that dealt with the aftermath of the global financial crisis. And so this was roughly 2008, 2009. <clears throat> Remember at the time, um, the U.S. had, again, had a devastating nightmare they had to deal with and had to stabilize the financial system. Uh, the question then became, you know, how do we put together measures, practices, rules, and architecture that strengthen the resilience of the financial system so that we can avoid another cataclysmic shock, right? So <clears throat> I got to do was do a deep dive into the plumbing, the financial infrastructure, and understand how different markets work, like the consumer mortgage market. That was um, a key part of uh, of the financial crisis. And think about, you know, how can we strengthen these markets? So my deliverable was putting together a set of memos, the kind of policy briefings that you're familiar with, research analysis to help decision makers, right, to inform them about, you know, th these are broadly the key pillars for financial reforms and how can we make it more uh, resilient to future shocks. <clears throat> and then, meanwhile, while I was working on those efforts uh, through alumni connections from my alma mater, I was referred to a, a person, a lady who was working for a, a foundation that partner with various nonprofits, you know, projects on the the African continent. Okay. So this is where the, the journey begins. So this lady was very inspiring. She talked about the challenges facing sub-Saharan African countries, right? So in this in this region, <clears throat> they the countries there, they they have a very um I would say a frontier um inefficient financial infrastructure. So it's not like what we take for granted here in uh, advanced uh, Western countries. So historically, people doing business and trade in Sub-Saharan Africa, they, they really struggle to find a, a low cost, a reliable solution to make business to business payments. Mm -hmm. the, <clears throat> the fees are really big. Um, it eats up a large chunk of uh, of their business, and so we're talking about small to medium businesses. So a lot of a lot of small entrepreneurs. And so this lady brought up a very innovative project that uses as a solution to this, that uses Bitcoin as a settlement mechanism. Right, what it does is essentially this platform essentially is a digital foreign exchange and payment platform that that leverages blockchain settlement so that it will the idea the goal is to lower the cost and increase the speed of business payments <clears throat> in these frontier markets right. so the platform is essentially is a market maker for for major african currencies right and so that these 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 small businesses uh, they can make payments to their suppliers and thus make their businesses more sustainable. 
it was very interesting. So that's that's when I when I heard about this project and the fact that they were using Bitcoin as a settlement mechanism. <clears throat> I Google Bitcoin, like what is what is this all about? I read the white paper, super fascinating. Seems like it was a treatise uh, using a very creative technology, right? It uses is game theory, cryptography, social social psychology. Seems mm-hmm. very ambitious at the yeah. time. Again, this was years ago. We know now that this is called crypto economics, right? They they're using these protocols to govern how decentralized digital networks how it runs. But but when I when I read it at the time as as a, someone who's who focuses on economics, I it seemed like it was trying to change the way society thinks about money and economics and how we trust those relationships. And the white paper even talks about how it was a response to the global financial crisis. It was, and the the author was some anonymous person or persons, Satoshi Nakamoto, which for me seemed dubious at the time. <laughs> but at the same time, if if there are people from from my school who are working for NGOs and foundations, okay, they're trustworthy and they're in my network and they see the value of of Bitcoin to as a way to spur economic development and help small businesses in Africa. Okay, maybe there's something more to it. That's exactly so, why I got into it yeah. as well, because I was like, hey, if Dan is, is learning this, it's probably not a scam. <laughs> so when I got into it, it was to buy poisonous iguanas from the rainforest. So it's good mm. to hear that you guys <laughs> got into it for the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll get to my first purchase of Bitcoin in, in a minute. <laughs> it's comparable to iguanas. <laughs> but so I, so what I challenge myself to do all the time is, okay, uh, I'm going to do research and write papers and think about this. But I, I didn't want to just do that, right? I, I, I don't want just to do an abstract analysis of this. I want to do it. I want to feel it. So that's when I said, I can't just... the. I can't just read the white paper. I I need to roll up my sleeves. So get my hands on some Bitcoins. Okay, how do I do that? Okay, so I got a digital wallet. Now, how do I use that? Right? Um, so I <clears throat> I use a digital wallet, got some Bitcoins, then said, okay. What, what were some of the wallets back then, by the way? Like, like I know that like it was probably pre-MetaMask years or pre-kind of like Coinbase wallet. Mm-hmm. What what did you use to actually custody back then? There was a a major wallet provider called Blockchain. I know that that sounds super general, but they they are a um, a large player uh, based out of the UK. So they they provided wallets, and um, they they had. Uh, a large user base at the time, and so felt that it was a reliable place to start. So, 
And was that like prior to big exchanges self-custodying coins? <clears throat> was it like you had to go and buy, like you're you're interested in Bitcoin, you researched mm-hmm. it. Um, it was something now that you wanted to kind of foray into. So then you had to go physically procure this wallet and then buy off an exchange and transfer that into into your own self-custodied kind of wallet? Or how did that work? That's, back then? that's when Coinbase was just becoming popular. Got it. It, okay. it hasn't hit mainstream like, like today. Um, back Back then, Coinbase was still a private company. They haven't gone public, and it hasn't hit Super Bowl ads like today. Um, but Coinbase, I felt at the time, um, I wasn't comfortable um, relying on a uh, a third party. Coinbase is a is a third party. Um, cust- <clears throat> doing custody of my Bitcoins, right? And leaving um, uh, crypto on the exchange. So kind of a, a hot wallet. So um, of course, you know, Coinbase would say that over time, they really improved their security and they have uh, uh, FDIC insurance <clears throat> of these funds. Um, and so they, they have risk mitigating measures, but, um, back then I, uh, I wasn't comfortable, um, going the Coinbase route. And so I used this digital wallet really just to, um, tinker and, and seeing how I can use uh, Bitcoin. So I, I use a fraction of my Bitcoin to buy some merchandise on overstock.com. So overstock.com is kind of a, a smaller version of, of eBay and, and Amazon, right? And uh, it was, it's, it's an e-commerce website, right? Uh, it was owned by uh, former CEO, Patrick Byrne. So Patrick Byrne uh, it, is an early adopter of crypto. And so his e-commerce website was one of the earliest uh, vendors that uh, that accepted uh, Bitcoin, and so I, I managed to to get some merchandise off Overstock.com. So that worked. <laughs> and and, <laughs> so and the, is that yeah. how how you you got um, introduced? I, I know he was a guest on your previous podcast. Is that how you make the connection with him? So how it works in crypto is is a there's a zigzag path to connecting with people. That may have been my first time. Um, having some sort of touch point with Patrick, but it wasn't until several years later that uh, we we finally were able to uh, interact um, person to person. So nice because yeah, the community is is somewhat small, right? <clears throat> I asked anyone uh, in my network who needed help with projects, right? Um, now that I know that this is this is not just um, magic money, right? So the only f- way for me to learn um, how this truly works and open up the HUD is is really to take a leap of faith. So <laughs> thanks to some in- warm introductions, I traveled to Silicon Valley to meet 
with several startup teams. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't delve too deep into particular projects, uh, but just to mention a few highlights, there was an advertising uh, tech startup, right? <clears throat> Who wanted to use uh, blockchain protocol to help, right? Uh, provide uh, the data transparency, right? To track, verify, and get all the data and all the publication of the ad transactions, get a consensus on those as an official record, right? And publish it to all the stakeholders involved. So the the blockchain protocol is really to get that full data transparency. Now, the problem that they're trying to solve there is, not sure if you're familiar, but the advertising industry, it's it's very algorithmic and high frequency transaction, right? So right. There's, it's an automated, automated trading process, right? There's in a middlemen, intermediaries who compile or hold whole inventories, right? So that so that the demand and supply side, right? They come and buy and sell inventories from the middlemen. And so there's a vast number of vendors and intermediaries involved. And there's historically been lack of transparency, uh, issues with with pricing and their data silos. Right. And so these middlemen be able to do a lot of rent seeking behavior and they would really take advantage of um, uh, of pricing. And so that's that's the problem they're trying to solve is to bring more transparency to um, to automated um, trading processes of ad of advertising. So, so I got a question. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So, so is that that sounds like the perfect use case for blockchain, like to disintermediate, uh, like the third party, you know, trying to make things more automated. Like, how much? Just curious. Do you know, like, how much of that has come to fruition, um, or is that still kind of being built? Like, do is there any like active project that's working on it right now, trying to make that a reality? Oh yes, we're talking about. 2018, right? we're, we're in 2022, these projects that were in it early really paved the path, right? This, this particular project that I was talking about, they were one of the early ones that used an innovative um, solution of uh, Ethereum, Ethereum sidechain, right? So it's kind mm-hmm. of a a second layer solution to really scale um, um, blockchain-based transactions, right? Because in ad, in advertising, it's really large volumes that are involved, and so they pushed the envelope at the time. Really, it was an early adopter of these. Uh, at the time, was a very early version of um, of the Ethereum 
blockchain solution. So a lot of That's different awesome. projects are uh, are leveraging um, this sort of approach now and in various uh, industries. And so now the other the other projects that uh, I was introduced to was hey they were trying to uh, come up with a a token right using a, an ethereum based token to that allow uh, people to uh, pay for housing rentals so it's a housing rentals ecosystem can you imagine it's in like an airbnb but without the intermediary without airbnb now this idea, airbnb exactly this idea is not new so it sounds like you're familiar with it this idea is it's not it's not novel, um, and several groups have tried to to implement this, and so um, again, uh, this was years ago. Um, so I'm I'm not sure uh, how uh, this network has um, has panned out, but it's all about building um, a trust and a community and having a really good experience that would convince people to switch to transition from airbnb um, and current um, housing rental models to a decentralized um, network and and there's a big transition um, challenge as well so there's a there's a big there's a broader theme of transition, and which I'll, I'll get, I'll get to in, in a minute. But just to highlight some other projects that I <clears throat> that I got to participate in, right? Um, there was a team that was looking to launch a a crypto trading. Um, platform in in Southeast Asia, and so they needed to do market research right into the various coins, uh, research the protocols. You know what is their consensus mechanism, their governance, understand the architecture as a way to you know vet coins before they they get launched on a chain platform. Now the the one initiative that that I had the most fun and the most meaningful was doing a hackathon um, hosted by Consensus. So it was a it was a blockchain hackathon for social impact. Mm. Um, so if if you ever participate in a, in a hackathon, have have either of you participated in a hackathon before? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. It's great fun. It's it's yeah. like. It's like feeling like a student again, in the sense that you you get to stay up late and drink Red Bull, but um, doing really cutting edge um, projects and seeing where the technology goes. <laughs> and so, but you know, here is the aim was, you know, how to think creatively, right? Um, and solving for uh, social issues. Yeah, they 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 probably don't 
uh, call them that name anymore, especially in the uh, in the crypto space, uh, just due to the connotations. I know that when we were doing ours, uh, I did it within. A, I work in financial services within a bank, and hmm. uh, they don't like the term hackathon anymore for whatever reason, right? But the the idea for for the average listener, or you know, for for the listener who's listening in. Hackathon basically provides you with like a construct, like a problem, right? That you have to solve or a use case that's out there. And you you either do it yourself or you work together with a team yep. to try and construct a um, creative approach at solving that within the confines of a certain, certain time limit, right? Yep. So... I think I think that's probably what you're what you're talking about, right, Dang? Yep, that's why you need the Red Bull, right? Because sort of... <laughs> I need <laughs> I need Red Bull every day. So yeah. <laughs> you only have so much time to put together a a solution, right? So you have to assemble a team. You have to um, build, you know, the, a a front end. You have to do wireframes. You have to design kind of a a proof of concept. And put together a pitch deck for for judges, right? Um, but you know our team did not win, um, but it was a huge learning experience because here I got to build a network of line like-minded folks who were super passionate, right? They became a mentoring network. We still read each other's white papers. You know, when we have new ideas, we need to bounce off <clears throat> if they're about to launch something. Right. So, and they they become part of your your partners as as you um, continue to trek uh, along that journey. And so, uh, and and one of those people were uh, someone who who used to work for the World Bank, right? An ex World Banker. So um, she deeply cared about you know poverty development in. in in developing countries, right? But then, you know, she she got into crypto because she deeply believed that that blockchain is is a way to deliver financial inclusion to people mm-hmm. in developing countries, particularly uh, in South American economies uh, like Argentina and Venezuela. And so, so I I work with her to do. Of uh, these these market and public policy um, research uh, to come up with with really rigorous um, formal memos where we can present to uh, to decision makers, right? Um, to uh, communicate <clears throat> to articulate um, how against you know the backdrop of you know weak economic growth and depreciating national currencies. In these places, there there's a growing desire for an alternative uh, currency solution, right? Um, that so, are not tied to government. So, so you've mentioned, um, you know, working on projects to help kind of facilitate ease of ease of transactional costs in places like mm-hmm. you know sub sub-Saharan Africa. You've talked about you know, um, the, the fight against inflation and hedge in you know, less, lesser developed countries mm-hmm. in, in South America, but you, we've gone 27 minutes and you haven't talked about the dog coins at all. 
I think our audience <laughs> is going to be a little disappointed. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> like, like that's your that's your start, right? Into into kind of viewing the benevolent kind of um, aspects of what blockchain technology can provide, right? But like, how based on kind of your initial assessment and how you got interested into the technology itself and and cryptocurrency itself. Um, how do you view, how do you reconcile that with kind of where the market's gone today? Like, are you still kind of into plugged into the matrix, if you will, of, of kind of what's going on? How I view this is there's a long, there's going to be a long transition period. So I'm in it for the marathon and not the sprint. So that, so it's a very long journey and I've, there have been days where I'm very much uh, in tune with um, the up and ups and downs um, in this in this area, but other days I I turn everything off because the way that I view it, you know, if we're gonna look at you know next three five years and how it all has evolved. Today, there's going to be a parallel between this strictly fiat currency world and this other exclusively, you know, cryptocurrency world. But that's going to converge over time. Right. It, it's hard to predict when, but but as we see the finance, financialization of crypto, right, um, we will see that convergence happen Um Thanks to the likes of Coinbase and um, crypto funds um, now being tradable to any major fiat currency, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And the likes of JP Morgan Chase, right, uh, who are opening up offices dedicated to crypto and the metaverse and the likes. But <clears throat> there's, there's a long bridge that needs to be built, right? And, Absolutely. And, and one of those is is stable coins right? um, and we'll, we'll just have to monitor how <clears throat> how stable coins will will be used and how um, regulators um, will view um, stable coins and how uh, traditional uh, banking financial institutions uh, will view stable coins um, how They're gonna central, love it. I'm just kidding. How yeah, central banks, how central banks view stable coins um, relative to their own view of you know central bank uh, digital currencies, right? Um, and and how society overall, how the marketplace will view Bitcoin in the long term as the predominant crypto. What will be the prevailing narrative for Bitcoin? It will be digital gold. We have very high expectations for what what constitutes as as money, right? Um, it's got to be store of value, unit of account, medium exchange. But if there's going to be a a long transition period, and 
I think I think the way that it's viewed yeah. today, yeah. at least from a um, at least based on what the SEC says, is that Bitcoin is a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as a store of value, I think the whole crypto community on mass is happy with that uh, because we don't want to hear these things um, starting to, to get classified as securities because obviously that's uh, more problematic in, in how they're regulated. I think the overall hesitancy around regulation in general is a problem for mass adoption of crypto. I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm curious about, you know, how you view that, you know, you, you, you're, you're taking a long-term approach view and approach over the next five years. Is that something that you think is going to come? Like how do, you know, like this is very much a show for beginners and intermediate intermediate users of, of cryptocurrencies and, and people that are interested. But like for a beginner, like how 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 should they view that kind of as, as as the onset of their journey? Like, is this something that's incredibly volatile that's going to get regulated over the next couple of years? I know that's it's a very loaded question, but and it's tough to tell the future. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Right. I, I think a lot of this rests on a behavior change, right? We talk about the current state of the world and we talk about the world that we're moving towards. And between are so many things that needs to get done. And, and one of it is it's behavior change. It's it's hard to communicate to people in a way that they can understand, that they can feel, that they can experience. And so one of the big problems of of the crypto space is coming up with an experience that really wows people that makes them feel like this is something that they can use day to day, right? So um, having a, a very user-friendly uh, interface, right? Um, something that they can, they can use quickly and conveniently with a touch of a button, just like using an iPhone or an iPad. So that that goes to say that one of the most exciting uh, topics in this space right now is decentralized finance because this is where the rubber hits the road, right? Um, because this is where people, right? We have hundreds and hundreds of millions of banking customers right around the world and they're sending and receiving money they're getting loans right banks are staying loans and people are using various sorts of collateral for the loans people have deposits and savings to earn interest on the deposits right they're making investments they're building their own retirement portfolio all that could potentially change with decentralized finance and so how this 
will affect the everyday person, right, who's listening to National Public Radio. I believe mm-hmm. decentralized finance, it's going to make that sort of um, broad impact. So, um, so it's definitely w- one of the most uh, exciting uh, areas in, in crypto right now. It's it's de- it's very exciting for sure. Like the whole prospect of DeFi, of giving people control of their own finance. You know, doing you know liquidity mining or uh, liquidity pool um, incentivization. Um, however, one of the main criticism that DeFi has received uh, in the past few years is that. It, the likelihood or the accessibility of two hacks. Um, we've seen just this year, we've seen numerous hacks uh, with green finance, with the poly networks, um, like to the tunes of hundreds of million dollars, right? So what do you, what's your take on the, the risk of DeFi, um, you know, along with, with the, the potential upside of it? How do you juggle that? Yeah, that's that's a big question. Right? If we can build something that really wows people, that uh, they can use conveniently, and that it it provides them a good sense of comfort that their funds, their savings, um, are safe and secured. Remember, you know, for decades, right? We've, as a society, we relied on uh, on banks, financial institutions, um, brokers, dealers, and the government to control the flow of money, right? That was our trust model because we trusted them to control the flow of money, and so that's sort of the governing contract um, that we have with with them, and so, and that's the behavior that we expected, right? Um, and that's how we have adapt- adapted as a society. Um, and so in order to transition off that transition model, um, people need um, really uh, uh, really hard convincing, right? To, uh, in order to adopt a new way of doing things, a new way of, of sending money, a new way of getting a loan. Right, um, a a new way of investing, a new way of depositing their savings. So the experience needs to be it needs to be friendly, and uh, it it needs to uh, give them. Uh, it needs to empower, right, um, their everyday moments, what they care about, right, um, is will be the defining factor that um, will really get adoption. <clears throat> That's great. So we've talked a lot about um, kind of the your origin story, but also how the space has evolved over the year over the years. Um, I'd like to to move on and talk a little bit about, um, some other things, right? Like I know right now you are um, not, you're still kind of in crypto, but you've also started to develop some new initiatives. Uh, anything particular and exciting you want to talk about? It's un- under this broad theme of society is undergoing massive transformations, right? 
Um, and the pandemic really accelerated all these trends. And so how we work, collaborate, share information, buy and sell in the marketplace. That's undergoing a lot of changes. And at the same time, there's large demographic shifts, right? So now the millennials, like myself, uh, we we have the economic power. And one of the top concerns on our minds and also generation generation Z, Gen Z, is it's the future of sustainability. So climate change is 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 a key concern, and so I'm focusing a lot on on ESG and sustainability. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and gov- and governance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so uh, critical to this process again is its behavior change. Like how do we help society to adapt and thrive, um, and and be able to take actions to address the warming of of the planet, right? What do we need to do to transition to a more inclusive, to to a more sustainable, a cleaner, um, modern economy? And so, where that converges with uh, with crypto is uh, one of the one of the areas that that I'm really looking at is is crypto carbon credits, right? Crypto carbon offsets. So it's a an application of decentralized finance. So this is a, a voluntary carbon market. So if, if you think about it, it's what what this allows people to do, people in businesses to do is um, they they can uh, offset they can compensate and make up for their carbon emissions by purchasing carbon credits. And so that's what these um, crypto carbon credits represent, right? So now take Moss carbon credit as an example. It mm-hmm. it de- democratizes and opens up this carbon offset market to a lot more people. So traditionally, p- people and businesses are doing this already, right? Um, outside of crypto. So, <clears throat> so just take for example, if if there are um, airlines, right? If there airlines, as you know, is one of the major contributors to carbon emissions, right? And airlines, if they want to offset those carbon emissions. They can um, purchase uh, carbon offsets from uh, from a, a verified third party, right? And that financing that money used to fund forest protection schemes. Looks like we're having a little yeah. microphone uh, trouble, unfortunately. Dang. Uh, can you hear us still? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. the microphone trouble is on your side, actually. <laughs> so I have we to, can't hear you that well. I have to mute myself because yeah. I was coughing. 
Oh, no worries. No worries. Gotcha. No, no worries. Yeah, we're good now. And so, so these carbon offsets, the funding is used to finance environmental protection schemes like planting trees and protecting the forest, right? However, the carbon offset market is, is fraught with controversy. Climate activists, they, they criticize the offset market because it can be a way for large companies like Exxon and airline companies to keep continuing to pollute, right, while purchasing offsets to greenwash their behavior, making themselves look good. But right. climate, climate tech and innovators claim that it can bring individuals, businesses, orgs together to help finance projects seeking to protect um, threatened ecosystems. So that's the carbon. So, capital. yeah, that's that's really fascinating to me. Like from, from my perspective, like I have very limited understanding of ESG investing, uh, but I think that's that's kind of the overall direction we're heading towards, right? We've, we've trying to uh, financialize everything. Uh, why not put the, the carbon carbon tax uh, on the blockchain uh, have this this almost like a market um it kind of reminds me of cap and trade uh, back in the days a little bit uh, not exactly but i think that's a super interesting idea you know you mentioned the project the the mass carbon i know there's also the klima dao uh, which is trying to do the similar thing so yeah i'm, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it um, i think this is going to be the next space um, that could be you know worth looking into so yeah, I know we, we've gone out for almost fifteen minutes now, and um, and I think it's been a really wide ranging conversation. So we're gonna start to wrap up. But before I do, I go. I do want to ask you, Dan. You still haven't told us what did you buy with your Bitcoin? Oh, I I bought <laughs> I bought a a book. I, I believe it was a, a book that contains the bitcoin white paper even though the white paper <laughs> is available for free uh, to anyone on the internet but uh, if i was gonna buy something with bitcoin hey might as well get the bitcoin white paper i almost thought there should be like an nft for the white paper and then people should everyone should should buy an, one of one maybe one of a thousand nft of the bitcoin white paper that would be apropos <laughs> Yeah. Did we just have a million dollar idea on the podcast? <laughs> <or what? laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um yeah, I guess this this has been super at least educational for me. This is very different from our um routine podcast where we talk about the shit coins um and what pumps next. So mm -hmm. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate I just before before you go, I do want to ask you one last question. So you already mentioned some of the exciting development in the space, but what do you see the crypto markets in five years and 10 years? What would it look like? Decentralized finance. If you're thinking about, you know, buying a house, 
getting a mortgage, getting a loan, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to use Bitcoin as, as collateral. So again, building on this theme of how, how do we view the value of Bitcoin and, and how does the marketplace view Bitcoin? I believe Bitcoin is going to play a central role in decentralized finance and the financialization of, of crypto. So that's, that's the most exciting. You hear it first, the financialization of crypto is coming. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Fodi, thanks for being along with the ride with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Dang. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, if, if you, if you guys haven't heard or, you know, Dang's also kind of interviewed a lot of the, uh, big players out there, um, from kind of the inception of, of the crypto, uh, period. He was a previous pod, uh, aficionado himself. And, uh, we're, we're very privileged to have him on the pod today. And also for any of our listeners, if, if, you know, we mentioned Patrick Byrne on the call, but you go, go Google that guy. He's a very interesting guy. Very, very interesting guy. Um, so, um, I guess in closing, um, we, we will catch you guys all next week, hopefully with a, uh, another, uh, uh, very interesting guest. And, uh, as always, uh, stay safe out there, space cowboys. Bye guys.